VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm here with The Game, the football podcast from The Times. In today's program, we'll be looking at the heavyweight clashes in the FA Cup and Premier League. And as the Champions League approaches the quarterfinal stage, uh, we'll talk some financial fair play there. That gets you all excited there, doesn't it? And also about some of those sneaky things those sneaky French at Paris Saint-Germain are doing. And of course, if we're going to talk about sneaky French, we have a sneaky Frenchman of our own. It's Julian Lawrence, uh, and he's joined by our boss, Tony Evans. And because Ollie Kay is feeling a little bit under the weather today, you might think that his team lost yesterday or something. Uh, Alison Rudd steps in. Definitely an upgrade in my book. But let's start at Old Trafford. Okay, so... Um, United and Chelsea, obviously Manchester United were, were looking to, to bounce back um, in midweek. Uh, Sir, Sir Alex made a big deal of saying that they were tired, having played a home game on Tuesday. Um, and he drops Robin Van Persie. Now, I know it's one goal in eight, Tony. I, I want to get uh, your take on this. I kind of feel that this is a pretty nasty slump, and it's kind of been overshadowed. Nobody's really talked about it because of the Rooney shenanigans and, uh, and the red card. I, should we be talking more about Van Persie? Well, I think we probably should should do because I mean, a month ago we were talking about him as the shoe him for the you know footballer of the year, and yeah, as he's dropped off a cliff, you know it's gone very quiet. It was a strange decision to leave him out though. Yesterday, you would have thought uh, his movement and intelligence would be perfect against, uh, let's say, David Luiz's naivety. You know, it's um, so I was a bit surprised that he left him out. Uh, let's face it, what you want to do is get your goal scorers back on the team and get them on a score and run again but yeah he's, he's struggling at the moment and um, he's not hitting the ball very cleanly is he? Mm, no not at all um, I think we saw that in, uh, against Real Madrid as well uh, Alison uh, meanwhile um, and you'll forgive me but while Rory K. Smith isn't here you have to step in and be the Rafa uh, avatar um, I'm sure we'll give him a lot of praise later for uh, his substitutions but to go Two goals down with some pretty awful defending. Is that on the manager? Um, it was always it's always partly on the manager, um, but I think I think what Rafa, what Rafa's inherited is is you know 
He's got his interim problems, sure, but he has inherited difficulties there. And the Champions League winning Czech, side. Czech is, Czech is one of the difficulties. I still think Czech's a great goalkeeper, but he's not. The trouble is, if you have, if you've had for years a keeper of the stature of Czech, and he has been astonishingly good, I think. It, it, I think it sort of breeds a slight, um, uh, not, not lethargy exactly, but you, you, you do sort of rely on your goalkeeper to, to, to always do the right thing and make the right decisions. Uh, it's almost as if, well, Czech won't be indecisive. We might expect David Luiz to be indecisive or whatever. But So I think, I think because Czech is slightly, slightly going away from his best form, I still think he's good, but he's, he's not as good as he was, then... You know what the Chelsea defence have to be is just is just is just step up a bit, and that, that, there's a there's a there's a there's a difference there that, that has yet to be made up. The defence hasn't yet got up to the point where they can they can they can compensate for a keeper that isn't quite as astonishing as he was. Yeah, but do you think it's the other way round? I mean, you know, because let's face it, keepers when they have uh, defenders in front of them that they don't trust, you know, often look shaky. And let's face it, would you trust Cahill and would you trust David Luiz in front of your centre-offs? I wouldn't. Well, he's got John Terry there, of course, who he doesn't play and who a lot of people seem to think might have made a difference on the, the Rooney free kick. Julian, you're, you're nodding. Is you nodding because you admire brave John Terry and think that... Because uh, I agree with you. <laughs> it's a weird one, the, the John Terry-Rafa relationship, I think. Because I understand the fact that he obviously came back from injury unless and unless there's something that we don't know about his injury and that maybe he's still not 100% but you know he's playing sometimes and then suddenly when you can give him a bit of a run over games he keeps coming back to yeah but Cahill is doing okay he's doing well and then David Luiz who he tried to play at number 6 you know in that central midfielder role for a while and then it didn't work in the end so then he bring him back at the back now and, and it's clearly like Tony said it didn't really work yesterday and didn't really look reassuring and, and Terry's there on the bench completely unused and I think that it's going to be too far the story and I think Rafa should maybe consider now putting Terry back in the, squ- in, the, in, the in the starting lineup, you know for a good run of play and see what happens then if it's not as better than, than Cahill and Ivanovic or Cahill and Luiz or Luiz then fair enough but at least give him a chance to show that he can maybe reassure a bit more the, the team should he do that or should he just say I'm leaving what do I care? Yeah, oh, isn't, isn't 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 this about the way Rafa manages players? And, and we've known this about him since he joined Liverpool. He doesn't do intuition. And I think if you're the manager of John Terry, you have to have a feeling for what he brings to the team because his stats won't be good. He's not fully fit. He's in terms of match fitness and in terms of niggles. He, he you know his stats will not be great. Rafa does everything by numbers. Rafa will not allow Terry in the team unless he feels he's got more energy than Gary Cahill. But he will never be much fit if you don't play him either. No, but it's it's the way Rafa operates. He he needs he needs Terry to prove that, that he's worth taking that risk because his, his numbers don't add up. I'm just trying to explain why he's not giving him. You would I think you're right, Julian. I think you would expect most managers to give Terry. A go now, but I don't think Rafa thinks the numbers are. I, I think if he th- if he thought he was fit, he'd have him in that team. Um, okay, I think that's enough Chelsea for now. I'm sure we'll go back and talk handshakes. But um, let's talk United here, Julian. Um, I thought even at two now, I thought they were they were poor, and I thought as badly as Chelsea started and with all the you know crap that people gave Rafa, I thought they even had chances at the end of the first half. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I was really, I mean. It's two goals in ten minutes for for United, but 
I don't think they never look really comfortable and they look to me quite complacent at times as well and I think it's not the first time where they, they're in the lead and they, they put their the foot off the gas a bit and, and clearly what happened I mean the second half was dreadful it was probably the worst half I've seen United this season and it was at home as well I mean in midfield they were completely outplayed Chelsea could have scored five in the second half you know and, and it, it was just waves of Chelsea players one after the other and and there was nothing you know at, at the back nothing happened in midfield either they were completely I thought they were well off the mark completely. What's the problem, Tony? Why? Why? I mean, this is a team that could still realistically go and win the double, and that will likely win the Premier League by a big margin. Mm. Um, and yet, this just looks bad. What the, I mean, uh, Rafael and Evra, I, I thought were poor. Yeah, you know, it's um, they, they're really struggling. I mean, Evra, the years are really telling on him yeah. at the moment, and he needs replacing. But again, we go back to the midfield. I mean, Carrick's had loads of plaudits this year, but that midfield just looks so weak to me. And certainly in the second half, the Chelsea runners were just flooding through yeah. without being picked up. And you're like. I, it's, it's unbelievable every time I see United I can't believe they're running away with the league like they are it says two things it said Ferguson's a genius and it says the rest of the league is full of puddings <laughs> Alison is is the league is the rest of the league really full of puddings hey, no. yeah, because I, I look at it and say who's played consistently well of you know you could argue Spurs well, I guess we'll get to are one of the few teams who played I, I think have been impressive this year but just so much dross at the top end of the Premier League. Well, there's not. There's a lot that's brilliant there as well. I think United, you know, they 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 have a, up until now managed to win games where they've been quiet and they've well, we've come full circle back to to Van Persie because if you think back, he was rescuing points for them when we were saying exactly the same thing about the way they played against Chelsea. They they'd have long lulls where they didn't appear to be terribly creative very happy to absorb pressure hit teams on the break they use the flanks very well and when you've got someone like Van Persie when he's playing extraordinarily well then you're going to win the games if you haven't got someone like that in form it, 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 it just fizzled out and that's what and that's, they looked like a team that had completely fizzled out uh, Julian I want to uh, get your take on, on, on something here United, well, one of the things that, that Sir Alex has always done, probably more than any other manager, is he, he's often rotated um, his squad, and he's done that very, very effectively. I think one of the reasons Ryan Giggs is now in his 20th year is that he, you know, he really never played, I think, more than 50 games a season, even when you know, they were winning trebles and whatnot. But I look at this now, and I'm sort of wondering, is, is this still the right thing to do? And... and you know, the, the, this kind of rotation. I, I, I guess the question is, do you rotate when you've got a bunch of guys who are at the same level um, or do you rotate when you've got some guys who are better and some guys who are who are worse and you play the worst guys in certain games? Because it seems to me that some of these guys are all kind of much of a muchness. They're good, but I sort of feel that if they played regularly, we would find out really what they're made of. I'm talking about Ashley Young, Nani, Hernandez, you know, even Welbeck, who, who's the kind of guy who goes like five months without scoring. Um, is Should he revisit this? Should he actually try to build like a base 11 and then rotate around the edges? I think I think he shows the, the weaknesses of his squad, to be fair. Because like we said, Rafael and Evra were really poor yesterday because they look tired as well, because they've played 300 games in the season already. But if you look at it, 
who who would have stepped in for them? You would have had Bentner on the left, who got, got probably humiliated by Mata, Oscar, and, and Hazard. So you, you play Evra, although you know that he's, he's shattered. And on the right, it's probably the same with Rafael. So I think he shows that on, well, on I suppose key, you could have had positions. Smalling, you could have had Jones, you could play Evans at left back, right? Yeah, yeah, but Evans at left back, what, what kind of reassurance does that give you? Do you know what I mean? Going forward, but defensive. I mean, and the, and the one thing uh, ever it does, he gives you an outlet. I mean, people have recognised and they squeeze him now, but he still makes himself available. You know, if if you put Evans out there, you know, you, you're going to have to play the ball through the middle. The other big Rafa talking point after the game was was the handshake. Now, the record reflect we don't have, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Sir Alex's version of events here. So it's entirely possible that Rafa is either A, making everything up, or B, that um, Sir Alex wanted to shake Rafa's hands. But, you know, there's a lot of people at Old Trafford and they just kind of missed each other, you know. Um, I suppose that can happen. But let's assume for a minute that Sir Alex chose not to shake his hand. Anybody here think that, hey, why should you shake his hand, right, after a game? Anybody think that that's ever acceptable behavior? I do. Ah, okay. Thank you, Julian. I do. I do. I don't like that handshake and all what we make of it. I think if you hate someone, like clearly Sir Alex and Rafa don't seem to really like each other. Why, why, would, they, why would Fergie, who was probably very angry, shake his hands? He just thinks he should kiss people on both cheeks. <laughs> Anybody else agree with Julian's frankly ludicrous? Um, no, it's opinion? not ludicrous. Well, well, you know, there's, why? Because there's you're an player. employee in the entertainment Take- industry, and this is part of the basic convention, right? You you shake hands to signify not that you're friends. You shake hands to signify to that signify, the duel I, is over. I, that that hostility I, has that ceased. I would be interested in seeing what Ferguson's side of this is. Certainly, seeing as he caused such a fuss over Suarez not shaking hands. And if he hasn't done it, it's just a level of hypocrisy that we've never seen in the governed socialist night. Alison? Well, I think the reason they should shake hands is precisely because of Julian's reasoning, which is if you, if you have allowed personalities to, to seep into the football match and your own personal feelings, to feel aggrieved and hurt and angry and dislike someone or hate them, the point is you're shaking hands to show that you're remembering that you're representing a football club and that you have done what you've done and it was a fair game, goodbye. It's, it's supposed... It, it's a way of saying... It's not, you're not... With the handshake, you're not saying, hey, I really like you now, and no one would assume that. You're showing, you're showing that you have the respect for the competition you're in and the club you represent. You've seen some handshakes where they, they don't even look at each other. They hardly even touch their, hand, their, their fingers with each other. That, that's probably not good either, anyway. No, I agree with you. That's not good. You should shake hands properly, otherwise you're... Dis- you're disrespecting the competition, I think. I think um, you go back to Clive James, don't you? Talking about uh, Over and Co in Moscow when they shook hands on the podium and said uh, it looked like they were passing one another a dead tear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final point on this um, the flip side is Rafa Benitez came and, and, and shared this news. Um, during the uh, during the press conference afterwards, and of course also came out and said, "Oh, go ask Ferguson if you're brave enough." Um, Tony, do you have to be brave to ask Sir Alex things? And uh, secondly, was this a really good idea to go and make a big deal out of this? 
Well, I think it goes back to Friday, doesn't it, last Friday, when Ferguson, when he was asked about Benitez, said, I don't want to kick a man when he's down, kicked him when he's down. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Rafa, Rafa won't have forgot that. Um, is it wise to, to bring it up? Is like, it, does Rafa help himself? No. Because let's face it, when you take on, uh, I'm not saying you should never take on Ferguson, but if you take Ferguson on in over silly things, and let's face it, there's an obvious axis now, Ferguson, Mourinho, going on here, right? Which obviously doesn't help Rafa in his day job Mm -hmm. with Chelsea because Chelsea fans are singing Mourinho's name. Does this like really make sense? Do you need to go and pick another fight with with this guy who you probably won't see again this year? Well, he'd see it as... Ferguson picked the fight with him on Friday um, but he can't help himself can he you know it's uh, PR is not his greatest um, quality Julian are you scared of Sir Alex Ferguson would you have asked him had you been there I would, I would, because I, I, you know, he can ban me if he wants. He can ban my newspaper. I don't really care. But I, I mean, I can see the. Um, I've been to a few press conference. I was at the press conference where that, that that poor guy from PA asked about Ryan Giggs' private life, and 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 so I, before the Champions League final or semi final last season or the season before, and and uh, Fergie said to the to the press office of United. Just ban him, and everybody heard him, which was genius. But um, I, I can, I can see why press, as I recall. Yeah, sorry, AP. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see why. S- s- probably some of the, the juniors may be a bit scared of him, but I don't think you should. Yeah. Hmm. Strange place, Manchester. Tell you, you remember this? Remember when the whole gig stuff was going on, and and all those guys in hoodies showed up outside uh, of Giggs's house and mm. beat up the paparazzi and then sped off. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you ever find out who those people were? No, it's um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and we wouldn't want to speculate, would we? No, not at all. <laughs> all right, enough of that. Let's move on to a place where none of this kind of thing ever happens ever. That's right, Anfield, Liverpool, and Spurs. Um, Julian, uh, you're a neutral here in the uh, Suarez and uh, Bale um, uh, duel because uh, let's face it, uh, you're not a Liverpool fan, um, notoriously, and I don't think. You'd describe yourself as a Spurs fan either Uh, even though you do live creepily in that neck of the woods Um, but I thought Suarez really had the upper hand in this game and if if you were supposed to be like judge these guys on 90 minutes despite Bale's uh, two assists um, do you do you agree with me? yeah I do and then maybe Bale's going through a slight bumpy patch the last two three games last two games at least we, oh, it's, by it's his hard. high standards well maybe but then there's that run that 70 yard run where then he crossed the ball for Sigurdsson and Sigurdsson hit the post which was just magnificent that is true and, and then you think I, I do agree I watched the game again last night and, and I thought well Bale is, starts to look a bit tired and then there's that run and it just takes on everybody and it's just fantastic I mean Suarez what, what a player what a player yesterday I mean in both sense of the word as in so annoying if you play against him I think I mean if I had been Dembele I would have smacked his head up <laughs> but such a talent it's incredible I mean the goal is fantastic although I think Lloris you know is a bit at fault on the, on the first goal but just the movement and, and just the cleverness he has on the pitch is just fantastic I think yeah, I, I couldn't praise him more highly than saying when he scored that, that, that goal it reminds me of Al Gleish 
the way he, his body, his body uh, placement, the way he moved, the way he flicked it with the outsides of his foot, just brilliant. Didn't Torres once score a goal like that too? Yeah, Where but he then he, ran off. And yeah, but it's a, it's a different type of it's a different type of movement. You'd never say uh, Torres reminds you of Dalglish. I mean, completely different players. You know, it's uh, but but Suarez isn't. Um, you know, he, he, he's he's just he's one of those players that you just can't get a handle on get a hold of in the boxing with his movements the way he twists and turns his runs he's just you know, he's, he's fantastic and you know and Bale's fantastic as well I don't get why it seems to be an either or you know and there's, there's this level of hating and the other thing I don't get is like look he dives as well you know what let us all go the two great players diving doesn't matter <laughs> Diving doesn't matter, Alison. Is this a lesson for for the next generation? <laughs> well, you don't. <laughs> oh, come on, Tony. You you wouldn't want that to be high up in the list of things he's going. Either player is going to be remembered for. Well, when they I don't think they should be. I think I think it's like it's a classic like hobby horse of those who are who are missing the points. And you know, there, there are things in the game we should run out the game. We should get an angry mob, flaming torches, and run them out the game. And like diving's way down on that list. Is it way down on that list, Alison? No, it's well. It's, it might be low on Tony's list. It's it's high on most other people's lists because it's it's it doesn't it feel right. It does. It, it when you are so talented. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. Bale, Bale, and Suarez are, are the two most attractive players to watch at the moment. Two of them, anyway. And you it. You kind of think, why do you need to do it? Why but, do you need to do every, it? Every week, there's people throwing in challenges that can potentially put people in hospital, and we just go, oh, that's all right, that's fine. Look at that dive and get! Well, I, I think part of the argument is, A, culturally in this country, there's long been a fascination, right, with, uh, with the hard man, right, McKay, mm. Chopper Harris, Billy Brandner. And, and, and no, one, right? no one gets that more than me. Okay, so there's more tolerance for that rather than for the sneaky guy who who dives and cheats and tries to get an advantage that way. You know those cheating foreigners like the Welsh. You know. <laughs> I was thinking about that. You know, ultimately Liverpool won this game because of two completely foolish back passes and one very bad decision from Asuakoto. And I'm wondering because at one moment where, where I found myself praising Tottenham, they're so well organized and tactically it's great, and they're so in sync, and and then they do stuff that's so stupid, like the the, the, the Defoe back pass and uh, and that weird Walker pass back to to Yuri's. Well, how does this stuff happen? Well, just when you think they've stopped being Tottenham, they become Tottenham again, don't they? They remember who they are, and you know it's um, and I, I, I mean, frankly, they offended me yesterday. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was glad. Of course, that you know Liverpool won, but like they were, they were on top, they were cruising, and they are just the biggest bunch of mentally weak. Well, they turned into it yes uh, on 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 Sunday, and it, it, it was offensive, really. You know, Phyllis Bowers must be pulling his hair out. Just when you start believing, you say, "Yeah, this yeah. is this is beginning to work," and it, and you see it go wrong like that. You, you think to yourself, "Yeah, it does offend me. It, it offends me when teams switch off, when teams show mental weakness, when teams are on top and they lose. It, it just does. I can't it, help it. It's a team that lacks. A, uh, it's a team that lacks a lot of experience. I think of, of winning experience. You have, mm. you know, you've got good players, and you know, with different ages as well. But but Vertonghen has never won. 
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on, settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Won anything, and Dembele has never won anything, and also not, doesn't have the experience of winning top games and, you know, top trophies in top leagues either same for Lloris you know for example that mistake Lloris made on the second goal there's no way a, a very experienced goalkeeper would well, he's want he's obviously to. thinking there's no way that Walker's going to hit this no maybe but then your pass I mean these are good players he could have stupid mistakes yeah but you know you could also have kicked the ball to, you know into Goodison Park <laughs> yeah, across the Park because that's what he should have done anyway. But I think they lack experience in those, you know, in those final 10, 15 minutes, and it's not the first time he shows. But the good news, Alison, is that it's three points for um, for Liverpool. Um, the Champions League is five points away. Should you start thinking about it? I don't think so, really. No, no. I felt. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd use the word offended, but I, I definitely that was that was not a game that Liverpool won. That was a game that Spurs lost. And um, hey, Liverpool beat somebody in the top ten, right? Yeah, well, the first time for the first time they beat they beat a team higher than Swansea, they, which which tells its own story. I don't think that they have progressed in the leaps and bounds that would allow them to now carry on taking points of of better teams in the division to the point where they're going to finish in the top four. All right. You have little faith. We're going to do things slightly differently in our, in our debate uh, next week. Julian's going to help me uh, explain this story because I, I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, we're talking about financial fair play for, for those who, uh, who are unfamiliar with it. Uh, basically, it's a set of regulations um, introduced by UEFA which stipulate that um, – which basically cap the amount of losses uh, a club can sustain initially over a two-year period. Then it becomes a three-year period. Long short is that for the first two years – losses are capped at 45 million euros in total, which is about 39 million pounds. Now, Paris Saint-Germain have spent close to 200 million pounds uh, in the last two years alone on players. Um, their, the, the, their wage bills gone out of control. They only make something like 90 million um, in, in revenue between, uh, between gate receipts and sponsorship and, uh, and broadcasting revenue. 
And yet, bizarrely, when they issued uh, their accounts to uh, the, the French regularly, regulatory body, um, hey, look, they only made a loss of five and a half million last year. Julien, can you tell us how that was possible? Well, to, to try to make it easier, I mean, simple, basically, they found a few loopholes in the uh, French tax um, laws that uh, enabled them not to cheat on their accounts, but to, to actually reduce their losses. Your newspaper, Le Parisien, reported that they, they introduced, that they signed this big um, sort of partnership agreement with the Qatari uh, with the Qatar Tourist Board. Yeah. Um, and as you know, the owners of Paris Saint-Germain are Qatari as well. Um, in fact, it's basically the same people, yeah. um, which, which, which supposedly pays them between 150 and 200 million a season. And they decided that even though they only announced this in January, presumably only did the deal in January, so two mm-hmm. months ago, they decided it was going to somehow be backdated to last year's accounts as well. Yeah. And that way they would not make a loss. Now, how is this exactly. possible? Well, again, the, yeah, that's, they, they said they've, they've just announced it in, in December, but that it was in the pipeline for a long time and that they signed it already. So bearing in mind that it's basically your dad giving his son some money because that tourism board belongs to the people who own the club as well. So it's exactly like the money just staying in the family. So, okay, I just give you 200 million quid because, well, I've got them and I want to please you. So that's, that's the story. And they just find that loophole, enable them to clearly backdated all the paperwork and everything, saying that it was actually done a long time ago so it could go back to last year accounts. And obviously, if you add 150 million euros to your accounts, it makes a complete difference. Okay, now, Tony, now, UEFA um, have very clear rules about this, namely that... Really? Uh, they are, yeah, this is a related party transaction, and so they're going to go and they're going to use what they call benchmarks. We're going to say... And that's it? clear? Annex 11, yeah. I mean, it's it's in there. They're, they're, they're saying that they're, this is what they say that they do. Do, do, they they, do. do they explain how the benchmarks work? Do they explain what the benchmarks are? No, they don't. It's not clear. And you're going to be able to drive a truck through it. And this is the first instance of a truck driving through it. And it, it's, it's absolutely scandalous. But, I mean, the whole point about financial fair play is that it's nothing to do with fair play. It's about ring fencing the rich and the powerful. Oh, I, I think we're, we're in agreement on, on that point. Um, Alison, Tony seems to think that UEFA aren't going to take this uh, uh, seriously. Um, people I've spoken to assure me that they will, and they kind of like laughed when they when they saw what Paris Saint-Germain were, were trying to do there. Um, seems to me, though, that it's, it's a typical case where there's a lot of big clubs who who want to see financial fair play there. Uh, they're the ones who push for it, the likes of Bayern and Manchester United, who, who make a profit every year. Um, surely, do you think that they're going to allow UEFA to not enforce the rules? Well, I don't, I don't know that it's up to the likes of Bayern Munich and Man United to be in a position to allow UEFA to do or not to do something. They can lobby um, the yeah, I think, I mean, the, 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 there's a dream there, isn't there? And I, mean, I, think, I think probably UEFA went down this path because they saw that it, it wasn't just a, a pipe dream, that it is real, that, that clubs, and we were always lauding German clubs for being able to to run economically, you know, good housekeeping and still be successful. So if it's possible, then why can't all clubs do it? Uh, the problem is that why should football be different to the way the world is? In a, there was a report out this week 
weekend, I think, saying that, you know, if you, if you want to hide your profits, go to an accountant in London. We are very good at helping the very, very rich to to appear like they're doing the right thing, but in fact not do it. And I, my cynicism would be that if you have a lot of money and you own a football club, you will find somebody to shift things around so that UEFA can look like they've done the right thing and no one, there will be no penalties. And if you're rich enough, you can afford to, you know, to, 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 to make a loss in some respects in order to make a bigger killing by avoiding the rules. Julian, do you think if, if for example, UEFA clamped down really hard on PSG over this, would they think of taking it to the European courts with these, you know, restraints of trade? There, there's another big flaw in it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they keep saying to us that they're, they're completely adamant they're doing, doing nothing wrong, that that deal with QTA, by the way, it's not even a sponsorship deal. The, 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 the Qatar Tourism Board won't be reason anywhere. It's just a representation deal, if you want. The <laughs> PSG will represent Qatar through the but world. This is exactly... <laughs> this, I, I, guys, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put on my UEFA hat here because, frankly... First of all, UEFA have had assurances from the European Commission. Right? European Court of Justice is separate. You want to you take them to court? Go ahead. You take them to court, um, which you're expressly forbidden from doing by the European legislation and by FIFA legislation. You want to go to European Court of Justice? That's fine. And then be prepared then for three years. You know, no Champions League, nothing for you while you're all suspended, okay? Because that's, that's what happened to Bosman. That's what you have to do if you want to go and sue UEFA or, or FIFA for that matter. Secondly, they said... And, and when they wrote these rules, it was together with people like Bayern and Manchester United. You imagine Gill and Hernes in a rule saying, now, all these sort of sneaky, like, Mediterraneans, what, what rules can they make? Is Berlusconi going to go and, like, you know, sign a sponsorship deal with one of their own company for a, a hundred bazillion? And what about those dodgy Russians? And you, this is exactly what those guys, and these are very smart people, have very powerful clubs. Um, well, this is what they wrote into the rules, so to give the rules the power to do it. And I wouldn't underestimate that the the the, the, the flip side of you don't punish Paris Saint Germain for doing this, or you don't take certain measures against them. I said it's not just a case of Bayern and Manchester United lobbying uh, UEFA. Bayern, Manchester United, Arsenal, Barcelona. These guys are the Champions League. I mean, I don't think we quite realize this. This is the compromise deal which keeps these teams within UEFA, within the Champions League, rather than running off to, to form their own European Super League. Yeah, which, which I think financial fair play will lead to anyway. But, I mean, there is some, I mean, for example, there is nothing wrong. If Manchester City... Who were, funnily enough, trying to do things the right way. Right. If Manchester City all of a sudden decides Abu Dhabi going to take out a number of huge sponsorship deals where money actually moves from one company to another, how do you set these benchmarks? So I mean, the, it's so real money; it moves right. across. Right. Well, the the answer is the the, the way they the way they set the the benchmark obviously would be a related party transaction because this is the other thing here, which for me personally makes my skin crawl, is that all these people are royals. Okay, I sorry, I realize you guys have your own <laughs> rules. Your own. I know. I know you're a big fan of of, of the royal family. Yeah, stuff, I would say you are. I always, <laughs> I always stand for the queen. But I find it kind of, frankly, creepy that these people are just born into this and they go and they start chucking money in other countries. But whatever. But um, in in the case of in, in the case of the benchmarking, what they do is they look at in the case of Manchester City, for example, they go and they, they look at right. What is the size of the club? Um, there, there are. Um, what, 
how many how many fans do they have? How many season ticket holders? How much visibility does it have? Where can we find a comparable, clearly non non related transaction? And that might be uh, the sponsorship deal signed by Real Madrid or Manchester United. They look at say United's deal. Say United's deal is fifty million. City's deal is also fifty million. But then they look look said you're smaller than United, and so we're going to count this as a thirty five million. A pound deal, for example, right? That's how they would do it, and, and this is this is sort of standard benchmarking that that is used to go and put a value on these types of transactions. So you wait for value judgments. Sorry. So you wait for sitting there making value judgments. Yeah, pretty much. It's not. I mean, not not, not Platini. There is a separate commission, and they mm. go and employ people. But but benchmarking is used to figure out the value of sponsorship and and, and publicity contracts all the time because a lot of times um, you you. You know, from an accounting perspective, you will put you need to put a price on this, and you can't just do it via contract. And in the case of City, by the way, remember uh, people always seem to forget this is there is sort of a hard cap, but UEFA have some flexibility there in the sense that as long as you're moving in the right direction. So if you're increasing revenue and lowering um, expenses over time, and if you can show that you've got a plan in the very near future uh, to eventually meet the parameters, they will let you slide. I mean, that, that's in the rules as well. It's interesting because I think PSG meet uh, the, the, that commission from UEFA early July, something like that. And you just, you just can't wait to see what's going to happen after that. What are they going to make of that QTA deal? What are they going to say? They're going to say that, that doesn't count. You, can't, you just can't do that. And it'd be really interesting because it will set, like Tony was saying about, about benchmarks, that would be the benchmark. What are they going to do with PSG? Mm. Because if they start saying, well, okay, it's fine, w- you know, we'll let you go with it, then surely in Abu Dhabi they're going to find a way to do exactly that kind of same deal with City to bring another 200 million to City and then maybe all those like rich royals everywhere in, in the Middle East or something who owns football clubs will try to do the same and then, then the benchmark will be that well actually anyone can do what the, what the hell he wants mm-hmm. I said and when that happens that's when Barcelona Real Madrid yeah. Bayern Munich and Manchester United walk away and form their own Champions League and then we'll see how much if, if they allow it yeah. to get to that point I mean mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's going to be the, the, the counter argument how about some quick hits and let's start with you Tony because you love talking about Everton Everton implode against Wigan and find themselves 3-0 down at halftime before crashing out Tony does this kind of collapse say more about David Moyes or Roberto Martinez notice how I roll my R's I think people will say that David Moyes fails in the big games and you know obviously they didn't do they didn't play particularly well but I think this is that the, there is more than 10 12 years of problems at Goodison which are manifesting themselves now I think Moyes has papered over a lot of cracks for a long time and I think he's reached the end of that um, it'll be interesting to see what he does in the summer and Martinez well you know as I wrote this morning I said you know the first signs of spring the cuckoo the sun comes out Wigan start winning and three months later we're punting up Martinez for the best jobs in the world you know on the evidence of three months where the fought relegation for eight um, no these as well they played really well but I'd like to see Martinez have a good season a whole good season and I'd like to see him you know not be fighting relegation before I start saying he's a wonderful manager well you almost got the chance to have him see a good have him have a good season at Liverpool no less well mm, <laughs> indeed <laughs> Carlos Tevez nails a hat-trick as Manchester City demolished Barnsley 5-0 to advance to the FA Cup semi-final. Allison, will Tevez be back next season? And uh, who do you think will make that decision? Um, it seems a strange question to me. Um, I've never seen um, Tevez look 
so comfortable at a club as he does right this minute. Um, so I think Tevez will want to stay. I can't see why Mancini, if he's still manager, wouldn't want him there. I don't think you're going to make a lot of money on him at the moment. Um, good though he is. Um, I mean, you're not going to make a profit. So uh, I may be incredibly naive, but I think I think Tevez will be at the Etihad next season. QPR win again. Julian, the talk is of Harry Redknapp and great escapes once again. Now, I know for a fact that you were chilling with a QPR player last night, and so does everybody who tuned in to the fine entertainment of uh, Lyon against Marseille, OL versus OM. Uh, so, you must have some insight. Can they do it? First, I think they need to relocate the training ground to Dubai because clearly it seems to work whatever they did over there. Two wins in the last two since coming back from that jolly holidays. And I think, yeah, they can do it. Definitely they're going to beat Villa on Saturday away. And, and Definitely they're going to beat Villa on Saturday Definitely. again. Nostradamus is broken here. And, and, and after that, they'll be fine. And I think it's going to be a proper, proper great escape. There you go. Swansea fall to West Brom, but Michael Ladrup is incensed that Roland Lamas's goal is struck off. Tony, now Lamas was in an offside position, but the ball was played back to him first by Gareth McCauley, then by Ben Foster. Now, you used to be a, re- a referee back when you were hanging in East L.A. with Los Lobos in the early 1990s. Please explain, because both Ladrup and Steve Clark said that the goal should have stood. Well, you know, Los Lobos liked me, wanted me to join the bands, and I, I, I always felt I was a bit too, like, you know, I wasn't Hispanic enough, so I didn't didn't join. So that explains... You that. not Hispanic enough? Yeah, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the refried beans, the things they did to me stomach. But anyway, we move on. I was under the impression that when the ball comes off the last defender, it needs to be played deliberately to put you in an onside position. And I was under the impression that these rules were changed back in the late 70s because I seem to remember a game at Goodison uh, where Andy King scored for Everton and Liverpool equalised when the ball flipped off the last defender and I think it was David Johnson was in an offside position he scored and it was overruled and that was the first year uh, that they changed the rule and I thought that was 1978 now either I'm living in a bizarre dream world uh, an alternative reality or Loudrop is uh, well we, fortunately we have a qualified referee in our midst who we can ask now Alison surely you don't remember the game in 1978 as it was uh, many years before you were born but by the same token you are familiar with the rules is Laudrup wrong? Laudrup's never wrong so that implies that Tony's wrong <laughs> Tony's never wrong yeah. uh, to be honest I haven't seen I haven't seen the uh, the goal but uh, um, in my on my refereeing uh, you don't like them saying that on the podcast but um, on my refereeing course there was no the, the dip, Deliberate, whether where the ball went or whom, whether it's deliberate or not, is not does not come into it. The word deliberate was not part of our assessment of of whether a goal was offside or not. The plot thickens, Julian. Everybody seems to have an opinion on this. Do you want to weigh in? Was it a goal? It was a goal, definitely it was a goal, but, but it's not clear, it's clearly not clear, because I remember earlier in the season as well at Arsenal, I think, where the goal was disallowed for the same reason and. The, because the ball just came off, came came off the uh, the defender, but not in an in intentional way, and then the referee ruled the goal out. So it's definitely not clear. 
All right. Now we return from this unscheduled break uh, to where we go right straight back to some quick hits. Now, Millwall and Blackburn Rovers are going to a replay. Yes, the magic of the cup. Allison, which one of these two sides has a better shot at denying Dave Whelan his return to Wembley? Well, it's got to be it's got to be Blackburn, I think, simply because Dave Whelan seems to get very emotional whenever Blackburn are mentioned. Um, I Oh my goodness! I mean, I fo- I, re- I mainly followed the Wilwell Blackburn game on Twitter for various reasons. Well, Twitter was more exciting than the game. That's the real reason. And uh, no, nobody could find anything remotely romantic or or interesting or positive to say about it. Um, and I think, but putting either of, I mean, they're quite similar and they sort of cancel each other out a bit. Um, either of them up against Wigan is going to be utterly fascinating though um, because because they're so pragmatic and they're so both clubs are so aware of their failings and the fact that it, it, you know it, it, it's 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 long balls it's guts it's fitness levels it's size it's it's the antithesis of what Martinez is about so um, uh it, oh, it will be it will be utterly fascinating, but the replay will not be utterly utterly fascinating. Millwall v Chelsea at Wembley. Time travel back to the 1970s for you, Tony. No? All police leave cancelled forever. <laughs> <laughs> Paris Saint Germain extend their lead in France because Lyon and Marseille are incapable of going beyond a nil-nil draw. Julian, given how awful the top sides in Ligue 1 have been this season, um, should maybe just not should they maybe just not assign Le Championnat this season. PSG will win it. They will deserve to win it as well. They've, they've just revitalized the. the the French French football, the French league, the championnat, everything. They're in the quarterfinals of the cup, of the Champions League with with your best friend Carlo, and I think they're doing they're doing brilliant, and um, and I think they deserve to win that league. All right, let's put you on the spot, Cap. Right, Milan go to Barcelona this week, Champions League two 0 lead in the first leg. Right, one out of D side going the weekend two. Can Barcelona drag it back? Uh, well, the, both sides gone on well. Uh, Milan defeated uh, Genoa. Um, Pazzini scored a great goal, but then got himself injured. Actually, got himself injured before he scored the goal. Uh, looks like he's going to be out of the return leg. It's a big miss because, of course, Mario Balotelli is uh, is cup tied. Uh, Barcelona. They only played two regulars. They went. They beat uh, uh, Depor Tunel at home. Dani Alves showed signs of life, uh, which is good. I think Barcelona can. Um, can turn this around, but they mustn't concede a goal. It's obvious math is that if if Milan score, then Barca have to score four, and that's a huge, huge ask. Um, the the really interesting thing is how what lineup will Tito Villanova pick because uh, he can't pick the same people who he picked before, uh, and he's not really there to evaluate them. Of course, he's still in New York getting treatment, um, so I am just so looking forward to this game. It should be an absolute doozy. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. Thanks to my guests, Julian Lawrence, Tony Evans, and because Ollie Kay is ill, Allison Rudd. Definitely an upgrade. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us, as so many of you do each week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find news, views, web chats. I'm doing my web chat uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. There you go. Come and join me if you've got nothing better to do. Um, you'll also find plenty of blogs and analysis. And as I said, all of us are on Twitter and we love hearing from people we don't know. Till next time, bye bye.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.